to look at these verses here. It says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Underline, circle that phrase, in conflict with each other. So that you're not to do whatever you want, but if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The, the, the Spirit and the flesh are in constant opposition to one another. And we, just, we need to remember, this passage was not written to unbelievers. This passage is written to believers. Unbelievers don't struggle with the flesh. They're just controlled by it. In fact, unbelievers don't even have the power or the ability to struggle with the flesh because they don't have the Holy Spirit. It's only, only through trusting Christ as your Savior that you're made spiritually alive. And, and when you trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you and gives you the power to, to control, to uh, even struggle with this, uh, the flesh. It says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Spiritual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And in the first session in our small group study, we took the time to kind of march through those and look at those words because understanding what's behind each one of those words just really helps you see what a mess we're in. Notice the next verse. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, how you live as a child of God affects your inheritance. Every time you choose the flesh over the spirit, every time you, you, you sacrifice the eternal for the temporary, you sacrifice a moment uh, or you choose a moment of physical pleasure over an eternal reward. And it robs you of your reward, and it cheats God out of his glory. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so Paul lays out for us in this passage just the dilemma that we're all faced with. That there are two natures within us. If you're a believer, there's two natures. There's our flesh that we're born with and the Holy Spirit that we're reborn with. And those two natures are struggling for control of your life. And even though the flesh never gives up, it never backs off, it never surrenders, we can live with confident assurance that the Holy Spirit is more powerful than the flesh. It's just a question of, to whom am I going to yield control of my life? Am I going to yield control to my flesh or am I going to yield control to the Spirit? Because the Spirit and the flesh take us to two totally different destinations. Now, what does yielding to the flesh look like? Well, yielding to the flesh can uh, involve just a headlong pursuit of sin. You know, we can, we can succumb to a downward spiral that just destroys our lives and takes everything from us. And maybe you've seen people that have made that decision. Believers who just wind up losing everything because they pursued the flesh. I mean, why is the flesh so hostile to God? Before we received Christ, the Holy, before the Holy Spirit took up residence, our flesh craved only evil. It craved its own way, its own will. And even for believers, the, the cravings of the flesh can be strong, so strong that Christians can become victims of their own flesh. 
You know, I've seen people that, that I thought were solid believers, and all of a sudden they just wind up in this headlong pursuit of, you know, they're living like a pagan. But what Paul's addressing in this passage is not always that extreme. You know, he's actually describing something that's far more common in the Christian experience. I mean, we like to fixate on the dramatic. We like to extrapolate from the extremes. We, we want to look at someone who fails spectacularly, falls from the faith. We want to identify with a believer who's been consumed by the flesh and then compare ourselves with them. Because when we compare ourselves with somebody like that, we look better. And, and better is good, right? I want to look better than that. And we think we're better, and then we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're okay. But really, fleshly thinking it can have noble ideas, even admirable goals, but, but it's also proud to the bone. And God says pride is an abomination. Act of the flesh is, is presuming to achieve godly goals without God. I'm going to pursue good things on the basis of my own strength, my own power. You know, the, the flesh rejects God's grace in favor of its own will, its own way, its own ability to do good on its own terms. The flesh buys into the idea of, of the self-made man or woman, the, the rugged individualism, an entrepreneurial spirit. And, and those things are great in business. I applaud them in business, but it's a lousy way to live spiritually. I mean, you try to be a rugged individualist in your spiritual life, and you're going to wind up uh, downright wretched. However well-intentioned the flesh may appear, never forget that it, it was hostile to God before you got saved, and it's foolish to think your flesh is going to be anything different. It's simply not the nature of the flesh to follow God. Flesh can't be redirected, redefined, or retooled. It must be crucified, mortified, denied. And that's why recognizing the Spirit's presence in our life is just so crucial. We, we can't be deluded by the flesh thinking fleshly desires. We've we got to walk in the Spirit. We've got to keep in step with the Spirit. And because the Spirit lives within us, and because we have access to the Spirit's power, the Spirit's presence, the Spirit's gifts, we have an obligation to walk in the Spirit. We, we, don't, we don't have an obligation to our faith at all. But our obligation is not to do good things for God. Because we don't have the power or the ability to do good things for God out of ourself. Our obligation is to let the Spirit work through us, to bear spiritual fruit through us. Paul wrote the Ephesians, Ephesians 2.8. eight says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, God created us, God created the good works he wants to do, God gives us the ability and the power to do them, God, God has the ability to bring everything together and give us the opportunity to do them. Our responsibility is to let him, is to yield to him, to obey him, to walk in step with his spirit. You know, when we do, then we live, we bear fruit, we reap a reward. If we give ourselves to the flesh, we wind up with a miserable, dead-end existence. And that's our dilemma. That's where we get stuck. So how do we get unstuck? 
Well, Paul balances the negative truth uh, about our dilemma in the flesh with the positive truth about the benefits that come from walking in the Spirit. Now, in the middle of this, this Galatians passage, he issues a warning. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul warns, he says, hey, I've, I've warned you, I've warned you before. Because this isn't something that you do once and then you're done. This is an ongoing, continuing struggle that we're dealing with. And so Paul warns us, if you pursue the path of the flesh, you're going to lose your inheritance. Walk in the flesh, you lose your inheritance. Walk in the Spirit, you, you produce fruit, you reap a reward. And so those who let themselves be controlled by the flesh, they're only living to please themselves. Those who follow after the Spirit are living to please God. And, and that leads to life and peace in the flesh. Uh, leads to destruction. It leads to the loss of your reward. It diminishes God's glory. But you have no obligation to follow the flesh. You have no obligation to do what your flesh begs you to do because through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can crush the flesh and its evil desires. And you can live uh, for the Spirit and bear fruit, flourish. Uh, Romans 8 uh, verses 16 and 17. Romans chapter 8, five, verses 5 to 17. I'd encourage you to you know, read those at some point. There, it's a companion passage to Galatians 5. Paul's talking about the exact same thing and, and saying the same thing just a little differently. But Romans 8, great passage on, on the Spirit and what he does in our life. It says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, circle that word sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So we walk in the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And, and when we walk in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit releases the power of God in our lives. And we break free. We become unstuck from the acts of the flesh. We begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit, even, even in suffering. And we bear fruit and we increase God's glory. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit allows us to reap a harvest. It allows us to inherit an inheritance. We receive our reward. Matthew 25, parable of the talents. Jesus tells the story of a master who's going to leave for a while. And so he takes his wealth, distributes it among three of his servants. And he gives each one of them a certain amount of money. And then he goes away, leaving them in charge and do with it whatever they want to. And two of the servants handle what they have been given wisely. They are faithful. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. They're faithful. And when the master returns, they give the master not only what he gave them, but they give him the increase. They've borne fruit. They've made a profit. They've, they've, they've reaped. Third servant responds out of fear. Fear is a response of the flesh. He rejects the faith. He's not faithful. He's fearful. And his fear causes him. He doesn't produce anything. There's no fruit, no profit, no return on what the master gave him. So each servant stands before the master and to the ser two servants who have been faithful, who, who borne the fruit of the Spirit, the master says this, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Joy comes as a result of bearing fruit. 
that comes as a result of being faithful. Enter into the joy of your Lord. It leads us to the second fruit of the Spirit, joy. Now, joy is different from happiness. Uh, happiness depends on happenings. In fact, the word happiness comes from the word hap or happenstance, which just means you're lucky, you're fortunate. It just worked out that way. That's happy. It's external. Joy is internal. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Happiness is based on chance. Joy is a choice that we make. So on your notes, how can joy become characteristic of our life? How can we bear the fruit of joy in our life? First, joy grows out of real worship. In the book of Leviticus, uh, God revealed to Moses, uh, gave him the instructions for how Israel was to operate. Uh, just as individuals, as husbands and wives, as parents over children, uh, as just in every area of their life, as the people of God. Leviticus sets the tone for the life of the nation of Israel. And in Leviticus 23, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed feasts, the appointed feast of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. And then God just lays out seven feasts, seven sacred assemblies that shape the year. They shape the religious year. They shape the civil year for the Jewish people. And what's interesting is that when you look at this series of seven annual feasts, we see that, that worship includes celebration and confession. There are feasts that are times of celebration, and there are feasts that are times of confession and repentance. But in Israel's national holidays, the balance is heavily tipped towards celebration. And out of seven feasts, five of them are celebrations, and two of them are confession and repentance. You know, God, the God of the Bible encourages joy. Encourages joy. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And God doesn't intend for religion to be only meditation and introspection. He wants us to celebrate. And serious reflection, confession of sin is a significant part. But there should also be celebration for who God is, what he's done, the work that he's done uh, in our lives. Joy grows out of worship because joy comes from the very nature of God himself. That's why joy is a fruit of the Spirit, not something that you have to produce out of your own self, not something that you get out of circumstances. Joy comes from the very nature of God himself. And so uh, worship is, is important. Next, joy comes from being in God's presence. Psalm 16, I am always thinking of the Lord, and because he is so near, I never need to stumble or fall. Heart, body, and soul are full, are filled with joy. And there's a process in this passage. There's steps, there's links in a chain here that, that we can identify. Number one is David is always thinking of the Lord. David has set his mind on God. In Paul's terminology, David is walking in the Spirit. David is keeping in step with the Spirit. And because of that, God seems so near. God doesn't seem far away. God doesn't seem distant or disinterested. God is on David's mind and in David's heart moment by moment. Third, because David, God is so near, David never has to stumble or fall. He doesn't have to gratify the desires of the flesh. Because 
he's, he's got his heart, his mind is set on God. He's walking in the Spirit. He's, he, he's connected with him. And that leads uh, to heart, body, and soul. David's whole person, heart, body, and soul are filled with joy. Joy is lasting because it's based on God's presence. It's based on God's presence within us. And and as we contemplate his presence, moment by moment, as we understand the future that he's planned for us, we experience joy. Next, because joy comes from having the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1.6, you become imitate, became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And again, the context here is in the context of severe suffering. It's not happy times, not pleasant circumstances, severe suffering. The fruit of the Spirit is, is the Spirit making us more and more like Christ. The Greek word for imitate here is the word for mimic. It's the idea of an impressionist, someone who acts so much like the original person that you can't tell the two of them apart. You know, you can't tell one from the other. Is that Christ or is that you? I can't tell because you're so much alike. As we walk in the Spirit, we decrease, Christ increases to the point where you can't tell us apart. God's goal from the very beginning is that we would become like Christ. Not that we would become gods. That's the lie that Satan sprang on Adam and Eve. Not that we would become gods, but that we would become godly. And one of the attributes of Christ is he is joyful, even in the midst of suffering. Hebrews 12, too. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. The the fruit of the Spirit, including joy, they're the byproducts of us allowing the Spirit to make us like Christ. We can't can't do it without His help. If we want the fruit of the Spirit to grow within us, we've got to join our life with Christ. We've got to give our life to Christ, abide in Christ. We've got to know Him and remember Him and learn from Him, imitate Him. And when we do that, it will produce joy even in the midst of severe suffering. So, we can be joyful in spite of our circumstances. Philippians 4.4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. How is it possible to always be joyful? I mean, you may be in a life situation right now where that, where that verse just seems impossible. How am I supposed to be full of joy in the Lord when I'm facing what I'm facing? Health issues, job loss, marriage problems, bankruptcy, horrible things can come into our lives. How is it possible to always be joyful? When Paul wrote this, he's in prison awaiting his execution. He's about to be executed and he's writing a book on joy. Nineteen times in Philippians, he uses the word joy or rejoice. How is it possible to rejoice in the midst of difficult circumstances? Well, first, I can be joyful in spite of my circumstances because God is with me. No matter what you're going through, you're not going through it alone. Jesus said he'd never leave you or forsake you. He said, lo, I am with you always, surely, even to the end of the age. God is with you right now. You don't have to be overwhelmed with your troubles. You just need to remember God is with you. That's part of walking in the Spirit. That's part of keeping in step with the Spirit, is recognizing His presence all along the way. 
God is with me. Not only is God with me, God has a plan for me. God isn't surprised by the problems that you're going through right now. He's not caught off guard. Oops, where'd that come from? No, he knew it was coming. He saw it ahead of time. God knows how to take that difficult situation and use it for your good. God makes all things work together for good. doesn't say all things are good because some things aren't. Some things are bad. God's will isn't always done. That's why in the Lord's Prayer we pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because God's will isn't always done here. And so there could be things that happen, good and bad, but God is skilled at taking them, using them, working together to accomplish his, person, his purpose in a person's life. You just have to let him. I can also rejoice in bad circumstances because God will help me. God will help me. You lost your joy? Are you struggling in a relationship? Do you find yourself in, in difficult circumstances? God's waiting to help you. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy is not something you have to manufacture on your own. You, you don't work it up out, out of the flesh, out of the acts of the flesh. Joy comes as a byproduct of when you cling, walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. That's how joy comes into our life. It's interesting, when the angels came at Christmas to announce Christ's birth, they said, I bring you good news of great joy good news of great joy. We didn't understand it then, but we do now because now we know what Jesus Christ can do in our lives. And if you haven't discovered that joy, I'd encourage you just to discover it today. Just open up your life to Christ. Just say, Jesus, come in. Release your joy in me. Give me that fruit of the Spirit that comes from you. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that, that you know us that you know our struggle, that you know our, our frailty. God, you know our tendency towards sin. And I just pray that you would help us to recognize that you're there. If we've placed our faith and trust in Christ, your, your spirit resides within us. We have power available to overcome the flesh. God, help us to walk moment by moment, trusting in your spirit that we might bear the fruit of the Spirit, that the joy of the Spirit would be released in our life despite our circumstances. And that as a result, we would become more and more like Christ. And one day we would reap a great reward. We thank you for that hope in Jesus' name. Amen.